It's good to be with you again this evening to be able to worship our God together. I invite you to open your Bibles with me as we take some time to study God's Word this evening. Sometimes, sometimes in life, just because we're humans, we find ourselves struggling with fear. It might be fear of the unknown. It might be fear of where we stand in the sight of God. What if the Lord returned right now? What if I died right now? Would the Lord be pleased with me? Sometimes we wonder if we're right in God's sight, and sometimes we might think that we're not good enough or worthy enough or that we're not doing enough, and so there's no way that the Lord could ever be pleased with me or that um, he would have a place for me in heaven with him for eternity. We struggle with fear, but Jesus said, Fear not, little flock, Luke 12 and verse 32. And David said in Psalm 23 and verse 4, Yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Sometimes we wonder about where we stand in the sight of God, but Isaiah 12 verse 2 says, Behold, God is my salvation. Notice the confidence. He is my salvation. And so I will trust and I will not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He has also become my salvation. In Hebrews 4, verse 16, the scripture talks about being able to come boldly before the throne of grace to find help in time of need. Notice the idea of boldness and surety. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and verse number 12, and verse 13, I want you to notice that Paul describes what his desire is for the brethren at Thessalonica as it pertains to their eternal glory. And he says this, The Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you, for this reason, to the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Notice that Paul's desire is that the hearts of the Thessalonian saints be found unblameable in holiness before God, in the sight of God, when the Lord returns. It's true that we struggle sometimes with these thoughts and these questions and these, well, we'll call them fears of life. Are we doing right? Um, is the Lord pleased with me? It's true, Jesus said in Luke 17, 10, that even when we've done everything that we've been commanded to do, we still say that we're unprofitable servants because we've only done that which is our duty. But Titus 2, verse 11 to 14 is also true, where Paul talks about the grace and the mercy of God and how the grace that brings salvation has appeared to all men, the Apostle Paul says. So what I'd like for us to do this evening is I would like for us to spend some time looking at the book of 1 John and three particular passages in this book. If we were to choose one word to summarize what this book is all about, we might choose the word confidence. Or maybe we would choose the word assurance. This is the book of the Bible which guarantees us that God does not want for us to live our lives every day wondering if we're right in his sight. 
He doesn't want us to live our lives every day walking around with a question mark over the top of our heads with some angst or fear or anxiety. I think that I'm right in the sight of God and I think that I'm in fellowship with God and that if I died now, I'd go and be with him for eternity, but I'm just not sure. It's not how God wants us to live. God wants us to live with confidence. God wants us to live with assurance and he wants us to know that we know him. So there are three passages in the book of 1 John that we could mark down as purpose passages. And the reason is because in each one of these three, John will say, I have written these things for this reason. Now what we're going to do is we're going to start at the end of the book with the third uh, passage and we're going to work our way backwards. And I think that you'll see as we work our way backwards, that these three passages, they paint for us a picture. And if we can see that picture clearly, and if we can see that picture uh, unfolding within our lives clearly, then we can have the kind of confidence and the kind of assurance that God wants us to have. Our first passage is 1 John 5, verse 13. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, and we will... Um, we will begin reading. Um, we'll begin reading in verse number eleven. John says, "And this is the record that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son has life, and he that has not the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life." and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. I want you to look with me at some of the words that John uses in this passage, 1 John 5, 13. First, focus on the word no. He says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. The word no is one of the key words of the book of 1 John. It's found 32 times. And in the Greek New Testament, there are two different words that are translated know or knowledge or some word in relation to that in this book and throughout the pages of the New Testament. One of those words has to do with cognitive awareness. It's the idea of having information, being aware of a fact or a thing. And many times that word, it can mean knowledge based on observation. But then there is another word, and that word is even stronger. That word has to do with certainty. That word has to do with confirmation. But when you study the uses of these words and the word know or the idea of knowledge throughout Scripture, what you come to find is that these two words most often are interchangeable. So we have knowledge that is based on experience. It is a knowledge that begins at the very moment that we acquire some information about some fact. And that knowledge grows into confidence and then into certainty and confirmation and boldness and assurance. And it even grows into what we might describe as an intimate knowledge. Sometimes we talk about knowing God, like in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 and following, where Paul talks first about knowing the will of God, and then he talks about knowing God. And he says that knowing the will of God results in a greater knowledge of God. 
And what he's telling us is that that knowledge of God is it's intimate. It's fellowship. The best way that I know to illustrate it is the way in which we describe uh, how we grow to love and know uh, maybe our spouse. The longer we are married and the more we know about our spouse, about that person, the closer we become and the more special they are to us. It's an intimate kind of knowledge. It's an intimate kind of love. And so when John uses the word know in this book 32 times, he's really covering, um, my suggestion is, the entire spectrum of the idea of knowledge. Everything from when we first hear the gospel of our salvation to applying it, to learning more about it, to our faith growing stronger, to having this intimate knowledge and fellowship with God, which brings assurance and confidence and even boldness. Look at some other passages in this book where that principle is found. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 19 Jesus said, and hereby, notice this, John said, rather not Jesus, John said, and hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows all things. Beloved, if our heart condemns us not, then we have confidence toward God. Look at the same chapter, but the end, verse number 24. And he that keeps his commandments dwells in him, and he in him, and hereby we know that he abides in us by the spirit which he's given us. Look at chapter 4 and verse 13. Hereby we know that we dwell in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And go back to the second chapter of the book and look at chapter 2 and verse 3. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Now look at all of those passages and see if you can come to any other conclusion than that God wants us to be confident. God wants us to be certain. Like we sang a moment ago, he wants us to know and understand blessed assurance. So John says, this is why I've written, 1 John 5 verse 13, I have written to you that believe on the name of the Son of God so that you may know, not that you may think, not that you may feel, might that you, not that you might have some degree of certainty. No, so that you may know, so that you may be sure. Now let's look at the second passage. We turned a minute ago to 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. I want you to skip up to 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. John says, My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. So putting them together, here's what we have so far. I have written, he says, 1 John 5, 13, so that you may know that you have eternal life. And the way that you can know that you have eternal life, 1 John 2, verse number 1, is that you sin not. Now, of course, keep in mind that as John talks about this kind of thing throughout this book, he is not talking about this uh, idea of of living uh, sinlessly perfect. God knows that we're humans, and God knows that from time to time we're going to commit a sin. But John is not dealing with that sort of thing. John is dealing, John is dealing with lifestyle. John is dealing with habit. John is dealing with that which describes you and who you are, the way that you live. 
And the way that he will flesh this out is that he will, he will propose a series of tests in this book. And essentially what he'll do is he will lay out these tests and then he will go back and he will revisit them in the latter portions of the book. So let me show you four of them. First of all, there's the test of fellowship. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through 7. In the first four verses of chapter 1, though, John talks about fellowship with one another. And he says that uh, John, verse number 3, that he is declaring what he had seen and heard, and the reason why is so that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. More about fellowship in just a couple of moments. But as we focus our attention on verses 5 to 7, notice how John now talks about our fellowship with God and with one another, hinging upon this one condition, and that is walking in the light. John says, This then is the message which we've heard of him and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, and uh, we lie and do not the truth, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. There are some words that are significant in these three verses. In particular, the word walk. When you see the word walk, if you'd like, you can take a marker, a highlighter, a pen or pencil, in some way make note of the fact that this word walk, the grammar of this word indicates a habit. It indicates ongoing action. So we have a contrast we're talking about those whose habit or whose ongoing action is walking or living in darkness versus those whose habit or ongoing action is walking or living in the light. Now, John says this test of fellowship is walking in the light. God is light, and in him is no darkness, uh, John says. So when we look at the character of God and we study about his holiness and his righteousness, when we talk about walking in the light as God is light, what we're talking about is living in a way that, to the best of our ability, strives to please God and imitate him and be as much like him as we can. More about that in just a few moments. Look at chapter 2 now, verse 3 to 6 again. Here's the second test. It's the test of obedience. The test of obedience. Notice how this test will help to further illustrate the first one. What exactly does it mean to walk in the light? What exactly does it mean to have fellowship with God by walking in the light? Listen to what he says. Hereby we do know him that we excuse me, hereby we do know that we know him if notice the condition we keep his commandments. He that says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoso keeps his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby we know that we know him. He that saith he abides in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. What is John describing in 1 John chapter 2 verses 3 to 6? He's talking about a lifestyle of faithful obedience. He's talking about a lifestyle of patterning one's conduct according to the model that's set forth for us in the pages of God's Word. Stay in the same chapter. Look at verse 9. Here's the third test. It's the test of love. What does it mean to walk in the light as God is in the light and have fellowship with Him? What does it mean to obey the command and the will of God? 
Well, one thing that it means is to love. He that says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness even till now, but he that loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and knows not where he goes because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Look at verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God abides forever. We're talking about assurance and confidence, and how can we know that we're right in the sight of God? How can we know that we know? John says, here's some things. Number one, are you walking in the light? Meaning, are you striving to pattern your life after God? Are you passing the test of obedience? Are you striving to obey the will of God? Are you passing the tests of love? That is, do you love your brethren, number one? And number two, do you love the world? And then look at the fourth test. It's the test of truth. Chapter 2, verse 21. He says, I've written unto you because you know, uh, excuse me, I have, ri- I have not written unto you because you do not know the truth, but because you know the truth and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son, the same has not the Father. But he that acknowledges the Son uh, has the Father also, he says. Let that therefore abide in you. What is the that that he's talking about? He's talking about the truth. Let the truth abide in you, which you've heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you'll also continue in the Son and in the Father. There's a whole lot more that needs to be said about these four tests, but hopefully hopefully we get the idea. I'm writing these things so that you can know, he says, uh, that you have eternal life, chapter 5, verse 13. And the way that you can know that you have eternal life, chapter 2, verse number 1, is that you do not live in sin. Right living does not necessarily mean perfect living. Look back at chapter 1, verse 8. John talks about walking in the light as he is in the light in verse 5 to 7. But then he says, verse 8 to 10, here's the, here's the reality. We're striving to live holy lives and walk in the light as God is in the light, but from time to time we commit a sin. And here's what he says about that. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Sometimes we refer to this as the second law of pardon. And the reason is because John is describing a privilege that belongs only to children of God. And he's describing a a privilege that belongs only to those who are walking in the light. So as we're striving to live a life of faithfulness, that is walking in the light, and we commit and we sin, we have the ability to confess our sins to God. And he says that the blood of Christ cleanses us. And just like the word walk is descriptive of ongoing action, the word cleanse is also descriptive of ongoing action. The blood of Christ continues to cleanse as we continue to walk and continue to acknowledge the sin that we commit, John says. But then in chapter 2, verse the second part of verse 1, and then into verse 2, Notice he says, I'm writing these things to you so that you do not sin, meaning so that you avoid a lifestyle of sin. 
But if you do sin, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he's the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That word advocate is the idea of a defense attorney. And so the picture is that we have Jesus as our defense attorney pleading our case before the the courts in heaven. Right living is necessary, and assurance comes from right living. But that doesn't necessarily, right living doesn't necessarily mean perfect living. God knows that we're human, and God knows that we have faults. But the emphasis of 1 John is that we don't use our faults as an excuse. That's Romans 6, verse 1. But that our goal is to be better tomorrow than we have been today, to learn from the sins and the weaknesses and the mistakes that we make and continue to work on them and through study and meditation of God's word and prayer and spiritual growth, we strive to perfect those things that are lacking in our lives. But our God is patient with us and he knows our struggles and he knows our trials and he knows our hearts. So we can with confidence say, we know that we have eternal life. If we can with confidence say, we know that we're striving to walk in the light to have fellowship with God and to obey his will and to love our brethren and to not love the word and to a world and to abide in the truth. Now all of this leads us to 1 John chapter 1 verse 4. Here's our first or really our third passage. And these things we write unto you so that your joy may be full. Look at how they go together. These things I have written unto you, 1 John 5 and verse 13, so that you may know that you have eternal life. How can you know that you have eternal life? These things I have written unto you, that, excuse me, that you sin not, 1 John 2 and verse 1. You can know that you have eternal life if you know that you're striving to live a life of faithful obedience to the will of God. And if you know that you're striving to live a life of faithful obedience to the will of God, and you know... Uh, that uh, by virtue of that, uh, you have eternal life, then you have joy. Joy is the response or the result of it. In John 15 and verse number 11, Jesus said, These things I've spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. And in John 16 and verse 22, Jesus said, uh, And you now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no man takes from you. Jesus talks about full joy, complete joy, and a joy that cannot be taken or stripped away from us. That's what John's talking about in 1 John 1 verse 4. When he says that your joy may be full, he's talking about that which is overflowing. But notice this also. That statement is found in a chapter in which John in verse 3 talks about having fellowship with one another and with God. And in the verses to follow talks about walking in the light and having fellowship with God. Here's an important point that shouldn't be overlooked. Great joy comes by great fellowship. And when we know and enjoy a great fellowship with our God, that is a cooperation, a relationship with our God, joy will come. And when we know great fellowship with one another, with our brethren, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, When we love one another and have great cooperation and intimate uh, association with one another, joy comes from that as well. So this book is all about assurance and confidence. This is a book that is designed to calm our fears and our anxieties, 
This is a book that lets us know that God does not want us living our lives where on a daily basis we wonder, am I right with God or not right with God? Am I right with God or not right with God? Where do I stand with God? John says, if you'll walk in the light, if you'll strive to be obedient to the will of God, if you'll pass the test of love and allow the truth to abide in you, then you can know, you can be confident, you can have blessed assurance. Naturally, this all begins with putting on Christ in baptism, with becoming a child of God in the first place. And tonight, if you've not done that, then um, there's no way that blessed assurance can be yours because the Bible does not promise that to people who are outside of Christ Jesus and who are outside of the light of God. But the good news is that God has provided a way for all people to be able to be reconciled to him, believing in the deity of Jesus and repenting of sins, confessing faith, being immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins. God adds you to the church, and if you do that, then you're a child of God. And if you live faithfully, which means, well, everything we've talked about tonight, obeying the will of God, faithful obedience, love and truth, and striving to be better tomorrow than you were today, then we can have, we can have confidence Tonight, if you're a Christian and you're struggling in this area, maybe you have doubts and, or something of that, uh, of that nature, and perhaps we could pray for you and talk with you and give you some kind of encouragement, some kind of uh, guidance from the Word of God, then we'd love the opportunity to do it. If you have a need tonight, won't you come?